This is episode 340 of the AWS podcast, released on November 3rd, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. I'm Alicia here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined in studio, which is very unlikely, by my good friend, Mr. Adrian DeLuca. G'day, Adrian. How are you going? Hey, Simon. Um, and it's amazing, right? We live in the same country, yep. in the same office. Yep. Yeah, we don't see each other all that And we've much. known each other for about 20 years professionally. It has been that long. Scary. So, Adrian, uh, you head up Solution Architecture for our partner community across APJ. I do. You know, I have I have the great privilege of not just working here at AWS, but really getting to interact with lots of different customers, but partners that actually are helping them build on AWS and, and building with AWS. And if listeners are thinking that voice is strangely familiar, it's uh, the, the this is my architecture hosting duties that you do around the world as well. So people may have seen you. You're the you're the tall, handsome guy. Yeah, I'm the guy that doesn't need the uh, the, the box to no, actually stand no up. No box on. required. <laughs> no box required. So we're going to talk a bit about the uh, AWS Partner Program and some of the cool things available for customers and partners as well. So, firstly, let's let's define our terms. This Partner Program of which you speak. Yeah, I mean, when you think about the cloud and the fact that you can consume it as self-service, you kind of wonder why do we need partners to begin with, right? And uh, AWS has actually been partnering for about seven years now. So uh, we've had a, the AWS Partner Network Program. And today we have you know tens of thousands of partners all across the globe. And we've just added 35,000 new APN partners since uh, January 2016. And it's interesting because you know the, the partner ecosystem is a genuinely global ecosystem. And so you've got some some pretty big growth areas in in the APJ territory. Yeah, absolutely. Sixty percent of the uh, APN partners are actually headquartered outside the US. And uh, you know, interestingly, in in our part of the world, we actually have the fastest growing country, Simon. So fifty percent of all new APAC headquartered APN partners are actually coming out of India. Really hot space. Interesting. So you get over there a lot. I do. I do. Uh, I do spend three or four times a year. I do get over there. I must admit, I'm a big fan of Indian food, especially <laughs> northern Indian. So I, I never, I never reject an opportunity. How spicy can you go? Pretty spicy. I think. Uh, I, I think you might ask for some of our Indian colleagues just how far I can go. But probably, I can keep up with them. Okay. Yeah. Without, without breaking too much of a sweat. Now there are sort of two categories of of partners that we have here at AWS. Tell us about the categories and. and why we have them? Yeah, uh, the first category we have are consulting partners. So these are typically you know partners that are helping enterprises bring and migrate their workloads from an on-premises environment. You know, looking to add automation like you know, DevOps, being able to deliver a complete secure solutions. So, so what you would probably find from traditional implementation partners on-premise, you know, we bring those best practices or those partners bring those best practices uh, onto AWS. You know, using tooling and, and systems and processes and to, to do that really, really well. And on people. AWS. <laughs> and people, of course, you know, being able to, you know, especially in places like Southeast Asia where, you know, in Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, where I've been spending a fair bit of time, you know, AWS doesn't necessarily have a big presence mm-hmm. and a lot of customers are used to dealing with, with local partners. They're very reputable. So, you know, being able to certify their skills and capabilities gives customers confidence. And the other, the other kind, 
The other kind that we have are technology partners, uh, and these are typically software builders, SaaS builders that are building on top of the AWS platform you know, and delivering a, a product or a service online. So, you know, you can think of some of those who they are. They're the Autodesks of the world, Salesforce.com. You know, in our part of the world, we have Druva, for example, and, and Freshworks. So, you know, these are really experienced builders that are really optimizing the use of our, uh, of our platform. So the consulting partners build with AWS and the technology partners build on AWS. That's a great way to say it, Simon. And so one of the things that I think often a lot of people look at is to say, well, wow, you know, AWS has lots and lots of different services, more all the time. Surely partners can't be across everything. How do I know which one is the right one to choose for my particular use case? Yeah, with uh, you know, now approaching 170 services, you know, it is difficult for, for anyone to know all of those services. And what we keep hearing from, from customers as they continue to invest in bringing more and more workloads on is they don't really, they're not really looking for partners that know how to do everything. They really want those specialists. And, and that's why we introduced uh, the APN competencies. So we have, you know, recognized experts around particular workloads like SAP, Microsoft, you know, VMware or end user computing, technology domains like security, containers, management tools, analytics, AIML. But we've also been introducing industries as well. You know, Especially, especially when we're getting into, you know, regulated industries mm. like government and healthcare. Yeah, it's a public sector specialty. Exactly right. You know it better than most. <laughs> uh, you know, customers want to be assured that, that partners really know their way around those industries. And so that's an interesting way to differentiate between partner and partner offerings when you're looking for a consulting partner. The other dimension we talked about was those technology partners that are building on AWS. And one of the interesting things is, Yes, they can use all the cool technology of AWS to build their particular solution to provide to their customers. However, there's a bit of sort of uh, extra special benefits and capabilities that they can use to present their solutions to their customers in a different, a couple of different ways that, that customers can consume them. So maybe walk us through that because they're, they're quite uh, technically, I think, interesting and commercially fascinating as well. Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the building that we see going on, the cloud presents new opportunities to optimize, the new opportunities to you know, guarantee performance. So there's a couple of really interesting services that we've been seeing partners uh, grab a hold of. And the first one is, is PrivateLink. Mm. Uh, so for those of you who don't know or haven't uh, explored PrivateLink yet, it basically allows you to run your applications in a private subnet inside a virtual uh, private cloud or a VPC where there is no connectivity and to the outside world. So PrivateLink simplifies the security of the shared data with cloud-based applications, eliminating a lot of the exposure of data to the public internet. So what we're really doing is exposing services like AWS Fargate or ECS API Gateway through secure VPC private endpoints. And so what this means is that the SaaS provider or the, the technology partner is, is building their solution, their application on AWS and they're presenting an endpoint through their VPC into the customer's VPC, but no one else can see it. It's like, it's like that, that magic highway between the two services. Exactly right. It's just like having a private network between the different parties. And who are some uh, technology partners that have done this? Yeah, well, you've got the likes of you know, Twilio and Autodesk, uh, Aqua, and even Snowflake that are uh, utilizing this today. Interesting. And there's another one that, that came out more recently 
I think June, July timeframe, if uh, if memory serves, which is a, another really interesting way to integrate into SaaS providers. Yeah, we've been working with a lot of SaaS providers, as you know, Simon, for for a very long time, and we learn a lot from them. And what they tell us that they need more scalable ways to do event processing. So you know, while you know services like CloudWatch Events is good, they're really looking for something a lot more scalable and ways to securely integrate. In July, we announced Amazon EventBridge, which makes it really easy to integrate their applications with uh, AWS customers. And the nice thing is it's, it's, a, it's a classic mantra of decoupling, isn't it? So we're decoupling source and consumer, but allowing integration. Exactly right. So it makes it uh, really easy. Again, so what we use is, uh, you know, the, the, the classic pub-sub uh, mm-hmm. model. So, you know, the customers or, or the ISVs can actually publish events to a specific event bus that can be coupled to a uh, AWS customer. It's an asynchronous model, which is, you know, clean, fast, and really easy to use. And so it also means there's no interdependencies on what protocols being used, runtimes, et cetera. It's just that that genuine classic PubSub type model. Exactly right. So, you know, there's no dependency on the communication protocol, the runtime environment, or even programming language. So it's interesting because this, again, makes it easier for technology partners to offer their services to to Amazon customers. Yes, yeah, spot on. Again, so in as they're building their applications, there's a couple of calls that they can make, things like, you know, create partner event source or list partner event source or put partner event sources into, into the bus. And who are some partners that are that are providing this service already? Yeah, at time of launch, uh, we already have ISVs like Zendesk, PagerDuty, Datadog, Whisper, uh, Signal FC, One Login, and Sugar CRM. So it's a it's an interesting one. I think it's something that's going to grow over time as people look for a more uh, modern way to interact with their with their SaaS providers. Now, one of the other things you get to do because you travel all around the place is you get to meet with lots of customers, lots of partners, and you pick up the, the interesting stories. So what are some, what are some highlights you've come across in your travels? Yeah, look, I, again, I, I'm really lucky not just to be able to travel around Asia Pacific, but also to some of our global customers in the United States and occasionally even over to visit some family in Europe uh, as well, Simon, <laughs> which is quite nice. This is why you always look so tanned when you come back from there. Yeah, you're always commenting on my tan. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's just the uh, Italian olive skin. Oh, Simon. I see. I thought it was from the the glow of the um, aeroplane lights. <laughs> it might be a bit of that as well. I've seen some really cool things. Uh, you know, one of them that comes to mind is the Deep Racer League. You know, everyone who is a who's uh, attended a summit over the past year will have seen that. But uh, Slalom actually created their own Deep Racer League in, oh. uh, in North America. And, you know, Deep Racer is a great way to learn about AI and ML and understanding how models, different models affect mm. uh, reinforcement learning. And the fact that they've created their own league in North America just shows that they're really serious about teaching others how machine learning actually works. It's interesting how popular that that overall program is because it is a, a learning by doing uh, approach. And we we had our uh, Public Sector Canberra Summit here recently. We had uh, some students get involved in, in building them and they were mm-hmm. coming from literally no knowledge of machine learning, AI, et cetera, to reasonably competitive models. They were, they were hitting sort of the the 11, 11, set lap, 11 second lap time mark, whereas uh, – proficient practitioners were doing about eight seconds. So, so Simon, are you going to tell us what your lap time is? I, I, I have to admit I haven't had time to create a lap time. <laughs> so 
I'm not going to tell you mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I don't have much to to, uh, to compete against, which is good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, an, another great uh, an, another great thing that we see as well is when customers don't necessarily have the skills or capabilities. We talked about the competencies, and and a really great uh, story is Onica in the United States, where they actually built a really cool IoT green grass prototype for for one of their customers. So, you know, partners really can come in and augment, you know, a customer's capability to, you know, add new, you know, modern capabilities mm. or features or integrations, you know, and, and come in, you know, deliver production grade quality, you know, features and applications. Uh, they sometimes stay, sometimes they, they leave it to, to the customer. So yeah. that's a really good example of where we're seeing prototyping now taking hold amongst our partners. And it's interesting, we've spoken a bit about sort of some some of the more specialised partners, but also some of the, the big players that probably are familiar globally, like the Accentures and the Capgems. You know, we have a, a lot of customers doing that. Um, what's, a, what's a good example from that cohort? Yeah, uh, one that comes to mind certainly is in the banking space. Uh, Simon, you know, as we've seen, a lot of the countries uh, really evolve a lot of their regulations and and governance around the use of cloud. Uh, it's really opening up the space for a lot of the global systems integrators. Uh, one that comes to mind is is Capgemini's open banking solution, which uh, which was released earlier this year, and you know, another even Accenture, they're getting into into some interesting spaces around things like circular supply chain solutions where they're using uh, AWS IoT and blockchain to be able to simplify the um, you know the transactions that go in things like smart contracts for example mm. so some really interesting spaces where they're bringing domain expertise and the AWS expertise together now speaking of uh, of some of the specialties one of the areas we know a, a lot of customers are facing at the moment is is the world of windows and migrating off uh, older versions or doing lifts and shifts and rearchitectures etc and we'll uh, we'll chat with one of our local partners shortly in a in a bit of a, a quick interview however um, one of the the domains I know you've looked at closely with our partners is what do I do with stuff I just can't re-architect, you know, XP stuff, old versions of IS, goodness knows what. Um, there's a solution to this. There is. I think in the past people will have thought let's just keep it on-prem or keep it off to the side, you know, let's tackle that later. But this is an area that we've really seen evolve, uh, you know, quite a bit. You know, certainly we've seen customers starting to bring their, um, you know, their ASP applications, you know, obviously online web-based applications is a great candidate for bringing into, say, you know, standard EC2 instances. But back-end databases like uh, Microsoft SQL, for example, we've seen, you know, end-of-life support starting to come in for, yeah. for previous versions. They need, uh, they need modernizing. And what about if I want to run Windows 2003 or, uh, or Windows XP? How can I get help for that? Yeah, I, I think one really good partner that we have is someone called Cloudhouse based out of the UK. Now, they've actually solved this in a really innovative way. So what they do is they take you know, legacy uh, applications that run on you know, XP version 7 of Windows 2003 or 2008 server uh, and even you know legacy internet-based or Internet Explorer-based applications uh, that don't work on modern browsers. And what they've done is they built an auto packager to take those unsupported applications on your operating systems, providing you know comparable container compatibility, 
And what they do underneath the covers is they do, you know, redirection of, of libraries and registries to the modern Windows 10 or 2016 operating systems. They isolate runtimes like MSX, XML, DLL, you know, Java 1.4, .NET Core 2.0, and provide compatibility for those 32-bit applications. So it's kind of suitable for those apps that um, you have no source code, you don't know who built it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't replace it, but uh, it does something really important. <laughs> you and I have visited a few customers like that, right, Simon? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's have a quick chat with, uh, with one of our uh, really interesting partners in this space and, uh, and see some insights that he can provide for us. So now we're joined by a very special partner. We're joined by a partner called iTalk. And from iTalk, we're joined by Mark Promnitz, who is the CTO here at iTalk. And iTalk is one of our Australian-based partners. And I remember when they started, it's uh, nice to see local companies go well. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Hi, great. Thanks. Thanks. Great to be here. Good to have you here. Now, um, Adrian, you wanted Mark to come on and talk to us because uh, iTalk does some pretty interesting stuff. They do. Uh, you know, one of the big trends that we've been seeing is Windows workloads moving into the cloud. Uh, and, you know, AWS has been investing in this for a really long time. You know, we consider Microsoft workloads a first-class citizen. So I thought I'd actually invite Mark on and talk about some of the great work that they're doing for some of their Australian customers. But, you know, Mark, maybe... Why don't you give us a bit of insight into what you're hearing uh, customers asking for when they're bringing their, uh, you know, their Windows and SQL and Exchange workloads into uh, into the cloud? Yeah, sure. So I think by far the biggest thing we're seeing in the market is that I think the cloud value itself is well known, but it's really the education and how to deal with the, I guess, the points of licensing um, that they're currently coming up against, right? So in terms of dealing with are we licensed for this, are we licensed for that, how does all the, I guess, prescriptive licensing agreements that currently got work inside the inside the cloud and all that. And by far, the biggest advice we can give customers is to leverage AWS-provided um, licensing um, and really drive down that total cost of ownership. And so, Mark, obviously it's not just a lift and shift for, for customers when they're moving Windows workloads. <laughs> You know, iTalk does a lot of work in terms of uh, license analytics and also replatforming because you know things things get out of out of uh, well they get end of life, <laughs> not to put a finer point on it. So you can't just lift and shift it. You got to kind of change it. So how how do you find yourself working with customers around that? So I think a lot of the time what we do upfront is working with customers primarily upfront to understand what they have right now. So that's through a lot of different tooling that we have and that AWS provides, specifically around TSO logic and other application discovery tools. And once we've got a really good picture of what um, our customers have, we work with them to um, come up with a plan of attack back to those six hours of migration that we all know and love <laughs> as to how we um, migrate and, and target, the, I guess, the, the future state architectures for platforms. And a lot of times that's um, re-platforming databases across to RDS or Aurora, which drives a big bang for buck and is a really easy target for a lot of our customers to hit. And just the consolidation of, I guess, a whole bunch of Windows instances or virtual machines onto like you know bigger instances and working to really drive the efficiencies when they make that migration to cloud. And that's a really interesting area, right, Mark? I mean, the cloud offers so many more instance types uh, you know, with different performance cost profiles, networking profiles. So it's not just about lifting and shifting. Customers want to lift and transform. So can you tell us a little bit about how, you, how you've how you been helping customers do that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So we've had a number of customers that are really looking, like they, they know the cloud, they just want to leverage all the benefits they can get out of that. And as part of the migration, they don't just want to end up in the same state they are now, just in a different location. And um, they'd really love to, you know, take on the benefits of using AWS and jumping with both feet as opposed to having one foot out the door. And you mentioned earlier on uh, that people are looking at not just necessarily upgrading their their database, so moving from SQL Server, you know, 2008 to something more modern, they're actually looking at changing the database engine. And so there's kind of like a, a multi-pronged attack here where, where you're potentially moving to better, more performant hardware, so you're getting a better performance profile anyway, but also if you move off a commercial database onto an open source database, you also get a payback, if you like, in terms of licensing reduction. Is that a big play for a lot of customers where they just want to, not just make the data tier better, but cheaper. So they're getting a the better and cheaper option. Yeah, absolutely. And and they're seeing um, just dramatic performance increases and the scalability performances and availability, you know, of some of those enterprise class features that they just weren't even able to um, license earlier and therefore get enabled or just make full use of um, in, under their previous environments. And so, Mark, tell us a bit more about iTalk and you know, what iTalk prides itself on in the market. Like, why did why did you decide, let's do this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, iDoc primarily works with uh, like the small to medium-sized businesses, which are really um, see cloud as the key to their business, but not really their business. You know, we work with um, customers so they can focus on their core business, you know, serving their customers, primarily around the SaaS, ISV, financial services space. And that's really what's driven now our, our, some of our core competencies within the business around financial services, DevOps, and you know, security as the day one job for everyone. And sounds like that's a, a big demand area for Australian customers, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when starting to migrate across and get into the cloud and obviously understanding the cloud. Customers are looking for that deep level of expertise, which we're more than happy to work with them and provide. Um, and that's through setting up foundational environments um, into migrations and helping them really leverage the cloud and and make that step shift change in their business. So that important step of getting it all right at the start, so the right t- tagging strategies, the landing zones, the, the direct connects, and then and then moving moving quickly but reliably. Yeah, so it's really laying that foundation and then moving them as fast and as safely as possible across into the cloud. And, and that's different levels of risk um, that's, specific to each business, right, as to how much risk they want to take on when they're doing that change, um, whether it's tra- tactical transformations or rebuilding or just um, lifting and shifting, then phase two changing. It, it really comes down to how best to work with customers to, to move into the cloud. But once they're there, the benefits are, are threefold. And we see a lot of people taking that on and really driving their businesses that way in the, in the technical space. So, Mark, you, you talked about, you know, re-hosting databases. I mean, that's a it's a great opportunity to really relook at your your whole data strategy. But what about runtimes? Because we certainly hear from customers, they've got a lot of legacy applications, you know, running on uh, older versions of Windows Server that, uh, you know, they just don't have the um, the, the engineering resources or, or, or the ability to refactor applications. And you know, this is where, uh, you know, we're seeing containers coming in, not just for new generation modern applications, but also for, for re-hosting uh, a lot of legacy applications. Are you hearing anything from customers around that? Yeah. So we, we've worked with um, a number of customers um, specifically on that, actually. So in terms of recently, um, we worked with a SaaS company, which has had a monolithic Windows-based stack. 
Um, so running on virtual machines in, on another provider and really struggling from availability and scalability issues. And they were looking around and, and you know, spotted AWS, not hard to find in the market. Mm-hmm. So we, we really jumped in, um, worked in helping those businesses to re-architect towards a microservices-based approach and really translate that Microsoft.NET Core environment across into both containers and AWS Lambda functions. It was, it was an interesting challenge where we um, worked with them to decompose the application down to the bounded context and really bring that AWS experience to the to the party as well with the DevOps automation pipelines, infrastructure as code, so they can repeatedly, deployably scale and deploy those window, Microsoft Windows .NET Core environments across their multiple different environments and take on that that global presence that they're now able to achieve. And, and so they could achieve that reimagine reimagination of their architecture, but they could still use all their, their .NET skills. They didn't have to reskill; they just had to deploy a different way. Yeah, absolutely. So that was a, a core focus and feature set for them. They were able to take those core skills and that in-house development experience and knowledge and rapidly translate that so that they were able to migrate onto AWS into production within a matter of months. And, uh, you know, I think it's also great news that AWS has actually joined the .NET Foundation last month uh, as well, just showing just how much Windows workloads are actually a first-class yeah. citizen on the uh, AWS cloud. Yeah, that commitment is important. And Mark, thanks so much for having a chat with us today. Yeah, no problems at all. Thank you, guys. Some really great insights there. So, Adrian, what's what's big in your mind? What have you been working on? Well, Simon, you know I'm a software builder at heart, right? Yes, uh, can't and stop you. No, and you know an area that I've certainly been spending a fair bit of time in is in, in the space of uh, our independent software vendors and builders. You know, uh, in my part, in our part of the world here in APAC, we have forty thousand ISVs you know, across that community. Uh, and when and you've I've met with every single one of them, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, looking at the number of miles I've clocked up, <laughs> I wouldn't be. be surprised. <laughs> no, but I, uh, when I speak to them, I certainly, uh, something that I've been hearing fairly consistently saying, we, you know, we know we have to get to cloud, but we just don't know how. And for many of them, SaaS isn't the end point. You know, other, some are just looking just to migrate their workloads because customers don't want to refresh their infrastructure. Yeah. Others uh, are seeing, you know, competitive threats from new players and need to add new features and capabilities to their existing products. And of course, there are those that are, you know, building net new SaaS applications. But something that I've been working very deeply in is, is how do we help these ISVs through architectural patterns uh, to get there? And so what are some of the solutions that we've got? So there's a few programs that uh, we can really bring to bear. Yeah, one program that, that we built is something that we call the TechShift Accelerator. So the TechShift Accelerator is really designed to help ISVs build, market and deliver their applications on AWS in a time-bound way. So through bringing cohorts of uh, ISVs that are at similar levels of business and technical maturity, we help them through these uh, these architectural patterns by giving them access to technical content, access to our solution architects. Uh, you know, we build go-to-market plans, provide uh, you know marketing support, a whole kind of kit and caboodle. If you think about what a, an accelerator does, it's taking the bet on those ISVs that uh, that really have the potential to be mm. able to grow in the cloud. And what about if you're a SaaS provider? What's available there? So we have a program called the SaaS Factory where what we do there is this is a very targeted program where we work one-to-one as opposed to the TechShift Accelerator where we work in in cohorts. But 
you know, it really brings together a targeted combination of content, tooling, you know, embedded resources. And what we do is provide guidance, direction and expertise to be able to accelerate you know, bringing in existing applications, refactoring it, remodernizing it in many ways, but, you know, using a, a lot of really interesting um, patterns that we've heard from uh, from successful ISVs, things like being able to do identity management mm. uh, and, you know, tenant onboarding uh, and tenant isolation, uh, even things like data partitioning. Uh, when you start looking at the scale of a SaaS provider, it's very, very different when you're building applications in the, in the cloud. So we've really distilled all of that learning uh, into, uh, into assets that uh, these SaaS providers can actually adopt and use. And so if I'm, if I'm listing and I, I want to find a, a consulting partner or a technology partner, how do I figure out which is the right one for me? Where do I look? Yeah. So uh, something that we heard again, as we continue to kind of grow and scale is which partner is the right one for me? And a couple of years ago, we actually uh, developed something called the partner solution finder. So what it allows you to do is to search, filter, and connect with partners around some specific skills and capabilities that they have. So, you know, whether it's by industry or use case or or geography or the competencies that we spoke about, customers can find them really, really easily on uh, the AWS website. So you can search, see who's who's around your your area, who's got what you need and, and get access to them. Exactly right. What about solutions? What if I want to find, uh, you know, what if I'm sitting there going, surely someone's already dealt with this problem before. Why isn't there a cloud formation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, again, this is where we've been working really closely with uh, with uh, customers in this space. And, you know, how do we, how do they get noticed? You know, how do they, uh, you know, how do they, uh, and how do we make it really easy for, for customers to launch? So, uh, you know, one, one of those states that we have is the AWS Quick Start site. It's a catalog of developed solutions, not just from the uh, partners, but also you know our, our very own community, Simon, the, mm. the, uh, the the architects. So it includes all the AWS cloud formation templates that allow you to do a one-click launch. And today we have over 160 quick starts on wow. the website today, launched over 200,000 times this year. Uh, last year we had over 1.6 million launches of mm. this. That's great. And the thing with the quick starts I like is, of course, they're extensible because they're just code. So I'll often use that as a base point for something. If I think, well, I need to do this amazingly big thing, I could take this and that solves, you know, 30% of it or 50% or 80% and then just customize the rest. Well, one of the things that we consciously did, Simon, is that uh, we all the templates that are available in the quick start uh, or the AWS quick starts are uh, licensed under the Apache 2.0 license scheme, yeah, yeah. which means that you can just take it, make modifications for your environment, contribute it back, or customize it for your own, uh, yep. you know, for your own environment. Yeah, it's up to you, Adrian. Thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, and uh, giving us a little bit of an exploration, just a touch into the partner world at, here at AWS. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully, hopefully, you'll invite me back again. Absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS Podcast at Amazon.com is the place to send that. And until next time, keep on building.